Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. My guest is Daniel Barber. So Daniel, if you could uh, introduce yourself and a little bit about the company and uh, yeah, just let everyone know. Lovely. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, excited to uh, to be on the show. Um, so yeah, Daniel Barber, CEO and co-founder of DataGrail. Uh, so a industry-leading privacy platform helping modern brands reduce risk and build trust with their consumers, users, and everyone they share personal information with. All right. Um, I mean, we could we could go a thousand directions. But I mean, I, 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 uh, I, we could talk a long time about uh, privacy and and various ver- just various things. Yeah, you know, there there's the the ongoing sort of. I, I want to say it's sort of the uh, elephant in the room, sort of the unspoken thing. Well, actually, everyone speaks about it, but. Even though companies will say over and over again, they're not listening, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. I'm like, there's so much anecdotal evidence of, I, I just had a conversation you know, with someone in my kitchen about something. I never searched for it online. I didn't type it into a browser. And all of a sudden I start seeing ads for it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, but you got you know, someone's got to explain how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of this is um, what led us to found the company, Tony, to be honest. It's, um, you know, I think as technologists, we realize that data is is spanning such a significant number of applications and stores within an organization. And we really have got to a point where, um, you know, we, we expect privacy as a human right. Um, and people are, you know, taking control and looking to take control of, of their personal information. But in reality, um, businesses in, in many respects have lost control of the information that they've actually been collecting on you and I. Um, and so some of the things you, you, you joked about there, um, you know, businesses are trying to wrap their hands around the privacy risk they have and what that actually means from a, from a business standpoint of what is my business risk and how do I assess that of the different ways we're collecting your information? Um, and you know, really, it's uh, it really is about protection of of our information at its core. Um, and you know, we we founded the company because of some of the things you described that consumers are now expecting this transparency into how their information is being used, and um, that that trend is not slowing down, which we're seeing it manifest itself in a bunch of different ways across large organizations and small organizations um, within the industry. Well, I guess, you know, I, I, from, from my own perspective, I think it comes down to a, a word you use at the beginning of that, which is just control. Well, it's two words you use, control and transparency, because fundamentally, I'm okay sharing my data with the organizations I choose to share my data with because there's a give and take. Like I turn on stuff on my iPhone because there's a benefit to that. Like if I, you know, I could, I could turn off a bunch of stuff and I, right. and I would, I would, I would lock down my privacy more, but there's a trade-off of the features and capabilities that you get from sharing that information. And so right. I'm willing, I'm willing to engage in that transaction and say, okay, yes, you can have access to this data because you're giving me this in return. Um, That's right. But A, I have control over it, and B, it, I, I believe they're being transparent about it. I guess I guess you can never know what what they're not being transparent about. But <laughs> um, but but I have a relative level of confidence with Apple in particular that I trust them not to do shady things with my data. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's an interesting concept, right? I think they've built a, a strong brand position um, of trust in this area, and they've um, been very vocal about that in the way they advertise over the last, you know, 12 to 24 months with, you know, commercials and, and positions around privacy of, you know, privacy is uh, is a core fundamental within Apple. Um, and, you know, to your point, you've now got this perception of, uh, of, of transparency that's been created as a result of that. Um, whether that's true or not, for, for, to your point, I do think that there, um, there is a, there's a desire from, from consumers like you and I to understand where the information is being shared, right? So you, you mentioned they're giving access to your information, but does it actually go to anyone else, right? So if I share my, my phone number at the petrol pump and, Yes, I'm Australian. I will say the petrol pump. Uh, you know, if I share my phone number to get that five percent uh, discount on 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 petrol, um, what? Where does my phone number go? Right. I I know that it's going to Shell, um, but who else is it getting shared with? That's unclear, right? And I think um, providing better visibility into that, um, not just when you're interacting physically with businesses, but also when you're arriving at a business's website, which today may have hundreds of applications that are processing your personal information, even just upon arrival. Um, and we're seeing that in, you know, governments trying to also step in on perhaps how businesses are processing your personal information, particularly now with, you know, folks um, using AI platforms um, or using um, you know, different methods of collecting uh, personal information like companies like TikTok, for example. Yeah. Well, so, you know, way, way, way back, uh, you know, one of, one of my first jobs in IT was, you know, network admin for a dot-com startup. And we, you know, we, we, had, a, we had a bunch of users. People would come to the website, they fill out forms, we, we gathered all this data. Um, and that was at a time when storage was at a premium you know like you know like we right. you know, like we didn't have what we have today there was no cloud right um so like i had to like actually buy hard drives if i wanted to store this information and i went to the ceo and was like hey you know we need to come up with like a plan for like when are we gonna like you know what's the cutoff to like deprecate this stuff and like just per you know mm -hmm. purge stuff that's old and his response to me he was he was ahead of his time uh when it comes to like data analytics and stuff his response was we're not getting rid of any data He's like, and I was like, well, why? What are you going to use it for? He said, I don't know yet. <laughs> he said, but if I come up with an idea in a year and we've gotten rid of the data, I can't do anything about that. But if we just have the data, we can figure out how to look at it later. And and it's and that's very true. It's like there are there are things that you might not think of right now, but you know, maybe four months from now you have a question and you go, Oh, well, I can go back and I can look at this pool of data through a different lens. I can look at it this way, I can and I can derive valuable business insights from this data. Um, so I get that, you know, and I and, and I also I also do understand. So aside from the thing I said about trading like my location information for, you know, some convenience and, and, and things like that. And in, 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 from a mobile phone perspective, I also do have some appreciation for. Targeted advertising, like I get that advertising is the thing like that's it's, it's what makes the whole world run. Someone's got to pay someone advertising dollars in order to make these things available. And if you're going to show me ads anyway, 
they may as well be ads that are remotely relevant to me. I mean, you could just show me anything. Right. Right. But but I, I guess I would rather them know, OK, well, Tony likes this and Tony likes that. And Tony was just searching right. for this. So let's show him those things. The one thing I would say they need to fix in, the, in, in that regard, and we've been talking about this for years and years and years, is just if I go on Amazon and I look up at like a specific pair of shoes, let's say. Then for like the next month, I get ads for that exact same <laughs> pair of shoes. And I'm like, OK, well, either A. I bought them already because I went to Amazon and looked at them or B I looked at them and decided I didn't want them, but whatever it is like, yes, take, take the, take the intelligence you gathered and you, you know that I was interested in these shoes, but then show me similar shoes, show me things that go with shoes, show me adjacent items, but don't just show me the exact same thing I already looked at because I already looked at it. Yeah. So, um, your your first comment about the the ongoing use of data and uh, finding new uses for data down the road, um, I always joke with folks, if especially folks in the legal and security field, that you know are trying to empathise with marketers and understand why marketers would want this information. If you've ever asked a marketer, hey, um, you know, can I? Uh, are you comfortable if we delete, uh, you know, the, the the set of emails or uh, phone numbers that we've collected? You'll always get a hard no, um, and it's for the reason that you just described. The use of that information may not be understood at this point in time, but you might find a use for it down the road. And that that's why data minimization as a construct um, is is great in theory, and companies should aspire to collect less information on individuals. Because obviously, it's it's if it's not necessary, they shouldn't house it. However, um, the the concept of removing information will never be popular with a marketer because right. they may find new uses for that information. So, I, um, I I couldn't agree more with your your comment. The first point, I think, the second point around advertising is is interesting, um, and it's really about relevancy, right? If you if the message is relevant for you then you're far more likely to engage with the message. Now, what's interesting that you shared there, right, is the um, you're comfortable with advertising being relevant for you. In fact, it's probably annoying if it's not relevant. Um, and, and I think that's where, like, we've actually arrived at in that we are comfortable with sharing our information to create increased relevancy. We just need to know that we also have control over it. And so I think... You know, if in the event that we do want to remove our information or we do want to understand how the information is being used, this mechanism should exist. Um, and that's frankly what we've been seeing in the market since since 2018, since we first started the company. And now, again, it's resurfaced in, in research that we've, we've recently put out um, around increasing expectations of the consumer, you and I, around our personal information. Um. Well, let's, I mean, I, I guess let's segue and talk about that a little bit. So let's 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 dig in a little bit on the on the survey. So I guess first of all, like, can you can you talk about like what, like who did you survey? Yeah. So um, so DataGray or the product, um, we we provide a few different things for for businesses. Um, namely, we we help to understand the privacy risk that a business has. Um, secondary to that, um, and, and so I should say, in that first area, we understand the systems, processes, and people that uh, are involved with collecting, using, sharing personal information. So 
identifying the unknown risk in an organization around the information that's being collected. Um, the secondary area is in um, if you or I were to contact a business and say, hey, you know, I'd like to understand what information you you have about me, or I'd like to delete the information you've collected about me. And and regulations like the GDPR or California's Consumer Privacy Act, these regulations have um, this ability. So you have privacy rights now. And so as a result of that, we have collected um, you know, data on who is making these requests, um, not specifically the individual, but where are these requests coming from? What type of growth have we seen in these requests? What type of requests are people asking for? Are they asking for deletion of their information? Are they asking for um, to understand where their information is being shared? Um, and so we put out a report this year, um, and we've done this now for three years. So this is the third year that we've been running this reporting. And what we found is that 57, 52% of people that made requests um, for either their information to be shared with them or their information to be deleted were actually in states that didn't have privacy protections. 52%. So what this tells you, the volume of people that are making these requests, they're coming from states that are not protected. Now, that's very interesting because that suggests that the increase of awareness around privacy and the increase of expectation has got to a point that we don't have a federal privacy bill in the United States. And so it doesn't actually matter. The regulation is actually less interesting. It's that consumers, you and I, have now got to a point where we are curious about how businesses are using our information. And that is showing up in the data around how many people are actually making these requests. Um, so it's less about regulation and compliance, rather consumers' expectations, people's expectations about their information. And that's why businesses are you know, making investments to try to address this, this expectation by, uh, by, by people. Okay. Um, it, is, it is interesting. But I mean, it's interesting from, this, from the perspective as well that there's this, you know, based on the survey, there's there's an awareness of the concept of privacy, even though it doesn't technically exist for you per se. For that person. Yeah, that's right. Someone in Montana doesn't have privacy rights, but they are submitting privacy requests and businesses are adhering to those requests. Um, what I'd also say that's interesting is that the volume of this type of request on a per capita basis increased 72% year over year. So not only are we seeing states like Wisconsin, for example, with high volumes of privacy requests per capita, in fact, higher than almost any other state, and that state has no privacy protections today, to be clear, or limited, um, but the volume of privacy requests across the country has increased 72% year over year. Okay. Well, you know, being in the cybersecurity space, I've, I've, I've covered a you know, spectrum of uh, compliance stuff. I actually co-wrote PCI compliance many years back. Um, there you go, yeah. You know, so you got SOX, GLBA, you know, HIPAA, you know, all, all these things. GDPR, I do think, stands out as one of the most effective and widely like 
respected. You know, like, because I think a lot of people, like a lot of compliance things are, it's like, okay, well, now I've got a bunch of bureaucracy, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got, you know, extra forms, extra work. But in the end, being compliant doesn't get, get me anything or whatever. Like, you know, they're just, it's just kind of an annoyance. GDPR seems to be one of the few that has actual, you know, meat to it, actual teeth, um, as evidenced by the, you know, recent fine against Facebook. I mean, you know, like basically, G the, the European Union uh, does not mess around with privacy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in many respects, our, our European friends have been leading the efforts around privacy of what what Europeans would describe as data protection, right? So that's a it's a it's it's a different term often used throughout the European context, um, and and I actually like it, right? This concept of data protection is is quite good. It's protecting people's information. Um, I think you're, you mentioned a couple of points there that are interesting. GDPR, you know, it, it hits five, right? Uh, in fact, tomorrow. So we're we're in, we're doing an interesting recording today on the on the eve of the fifth anniversary of the GDPR. Um, we we launched our first product offering on the day of GDPR going into effect, May twenty fifth, two thousand eighteen. Um, and so, you know, it has a, a special symbolic meaning for for me. But um, I, I think it, it, it was a watershed moment. Um, I think why you may be feeling the effectiveness and, and see the effectiveness more than other perhaps um, areas of what I would call sort of compliance um, is because we, we have the expectation of privacy as a human right. Um, and that goes further than um, perhaps other areas um, have. And I think the European regulation really followed, um, if you think about Cambridge Analytica and that period in 2015, 2016, um, just serious mistrust of how companies could use our personal information. Um, but the GDPR followed a piece of regulation um, that even predated this, which was the EU Privacy Directive of 95. So it goes back quite a long time. Um, and so I would say that you know Europeans have been leading the way for quite a while. Um, it it opened up other states in the U.S. right. So California quickly followed with the California Consumer Privacy Act. You know, within months of of the GDPR going into effect. And again, I really think this is just because consumers have become aware, and they they have expectations, and they vote ultimately. Right. The the regulations that go into effect, like the GDPR or CCPA are really just a reflection of the constituents' expectations around how their data is protected. Um, and so, you know, I, I think um, your other comment there of, you know, compliance being sort of this byproduct, um, I would agree that businesses need to, as a result of the GDPR, now make investments in their privacy program, into their security program, into their legal program, to ensure that they're meeting the expectations of the consumer, which ultimately means that you know they're on their path to um, some form of GDPR compliance. Agreed. Um, I I feel like in in some cases, and, and again, I'm kind of I'm kind of going back to you know when I was doing when I was on the network admin side. So technology has changed a, a lot since I've you know been in the trenches, but I almost feel like. Yes, especially now with with cloud services and SaaS applications, and you know you've got uh, so so much more opportunity now for 
uh, shadow IT, and you know, if someone can just go right. start a service, I can go, I can just right. go, I can go to SurveyMonkey and create a form and just start collecting That's data. That's right. That's right. And, That's right. And so now, if I'm the company and you say, okay, well, hey, I need, I need to know what data do you have on me and what are you doing with it? Very can good. I even confidently a answer that question? Like, I can only tell you, like, I can tell you, here's the data that I know I have on you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so Tony, that's interesting, right? That's that's a, another one of the core reasons why we founded the company. What we noticed was, you know, people were doing these exercises for data mapping, right? So data mapping is the exercise of going around to the company and asking all of the people that could have personal information or might have, to your point, spun up a survey monkey environment and start sending out surveys. All the people that could do that activity. Well, that would actually really be all the employees to a degree, right? Um, or at least the employees that have administrative rights to install new applications. Now, the the problem with that um, construct is that shadow IT marketers can go and spin up, you know, applications on the website, or human resources might go and install a new piece of of software to try out background checks as a, in a different way than they were before, and. And this is a problem. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity for software and the development of software, but it is a problem in that, you know, protecting people's personal information, which was where we started, right, becomes very, very challenging. And so when people go through a manual data mapping exercise, we often see they only capture about 50% of the applications that they are aware of. So if I went and asked you, hey, what are all the applications you have? Um, in most cases, it only captures about 50% because the organization, there are so many pockets of other people that have spun up software that are not being captured in that, that manual method that businesses really need a, an automated way um, or an intelligence method for finding out the, the applications that do contain personal information. So they are getting a represented picture to you if you were to request because it's it's not a not as simple as it sounds. For sure, I mean, you know, in 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 various facets of IT, um, I often come back to the premise of you can't you can't prove a negative. You know, so like when I when I when I talk to vendors, you know, who, who you know, you know, a few years back, it was like the all all the rage and the big trend was everyone talking about how they were the ones who were going to give you you know, total visibility of, of everything. And I would say, okay, well, I, great. You're, 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 this is a problem and you're solving the problem. And now I have more visibility, but what you can't guarantee me is that I have all visibility, like, cause even you don't know yeah, what you don't know. I'm like, so yeah, I, that's can, right. I can no, look no, at the no. Delta. I can say, I used to know this and now I know this and, and it's more, yep. but I still don't yep. know what's on, what's on, what's on the other side of that. That's right. I mean, that's why, you know, people invested in things like CASB solutions, right? CASB as a, as a concept to, to listen to the network and try to find out, you know, what type of uh, signals we can learn from the network. That's why people make that investment. So it, it, is, it is about the business trying to get back in control of what is going on um, and what type of data is being collected. Uh, and we're seeing that trend. That's why we we founded the company, and you know why I'm excited to can always talk about this topic. To be honest, well, in that vein, you know, is this about when it comes to like rogue rogue assets and shadow IT and such? Um, 
I think the the trend somewhat is, you know, when these things are out there. So if you've got you know assets that you don't know about and you you don't have visibility of them, the problem is all you need is for a threat actor to find it, and it's not protected because you didn't even know it was there, and now yep. they have access to your network. So the yep. the logical answer to this is okay, well, I just need to do, uh, like, I need to regularly look at my network like an attacker would. Like, the same tools they would use to scan my network, I should be scanning my network with. The same, you know, like, the same the same things that threat actors are doing to find the holes in my network. And I mean, I, I'm, I know I'm just, I'm making a big case for, like, say, penetration yeah, yeah. as a service. And I'm not, I'm not trying to propose, like, one solution. I'm just saying, as a concept, it, right. it, it behooves organizations to either think like a threat actor or use the same tools threat actors would use to try to figure out okay what is visible you know what what could i find if i was if i if i wanted to poke holes in this network yeah that's right um i i agree with a lot of what you just shared there because i do think that um businesses especially how they're you know uh, approaching privacy um, if it is entirely a legal driven activity right so legal only is approaching the problem probably going to fail um and i say that pretty confidently after seeing hundreds of organizations do this because um in reality the the best approach um is not just thinking about it as a legal problem also thinking about it as a technology problem and not just a technology problem really a security challenge um engineering and security are often conflated but in reality security's job is to protect the information so what you're talking about is protecting the information, right? And protecting the personal information is really privacy. So it's, it's one level removed, but it's the same problem. Um, and so that's why I think, um, you know, the the best organizations that we see, you've got, you know, security teams and, uh, and legal teams and privacy groups really working together to try to solve this problem. Because if, if, if one group is operating in isolation, um, it's unlikely to be successful because right. Um, you do need cross cross departmental support, um, and and frankly, that's why it's a it's been a challenge for folks. I would say over the last few years, and probably will continue to be because you've got a requirement of working across teams. Um, definitely, I mean, I mean, I think from there, there's from in the broader sense for cybersecurity in general, there is a need to you know, work co cooperatively with other teams and not just try to, you know, impose security. But when we're talking about data and data governance and privacy and compliance, the challenge, as you as you just described, is there's a legal component. There's also an IT component. There's also a security component. There's also a compliance component. And a lot of people might think, oh, well, compliance, that's just a function of security. And it's like, well, no, it's not. I view compliance through a security lens because I'm a security person. But there's a lot of elements of compliance, depending on which framework you're talking about, you know, like SOCs and PCI and things like that. There's a lot of elements of compliance that have nothing to do with IT security. You know, I mean, they're, they're right. business compliance. Right. So, right. you know, so there's a compliance team and a legal team and an IT team and a security team. And all of you, all of those teams have a have a stake. They all have a vested interest That's in right. data right. governance and privacy. Yep. Yep. No, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I'd say that's where um, we see the best organizations are tying those things together. Um, and ultimately, it is about trust, right? Like, that's where that's where it goes to. 
um, because you're trying to build trust with the people that you've collected personal information on. It's kind of that simple. Yeah. One thing, and, and maybe your survey went into this, and if not, maybe it's something to think of for the next survey. Um, so you talked about how there's, you know, there's an increase in people asking for, you know, what, you know, asking for their, their data or what you're doing with their data or deleting their data. And there's, so there's more attention being paid to that in general. At the same time, I go to any website and the first thing that pops up is, do you want to accept these cookies? And by default, I, and probably most people in the world, I feel like, simply click yes like i'm not i don't go in and read their policy i don't go in and like check okay well let's let's turn these cookies on and these cookies off even though that is an option that's offered most of the time is like you know you can you can fine tune it and say okay well yep. i'm good with these cookies but not these i'm like i don't have time for all that crap i just click yes <laughs> like i'm just trying to buy dog yeah. food you know like, like, like yeah, let's yeah, move on. Right. Yeah, yeah. um and, and so there's it seems to be like a, a somewhat of a disconnect there like on the one hand we're saying hey people are more aware about privacy and they're interested in knowing what's going on and they want to know where, what's going on you know what you're doing with their data and on the other hand companies are literally giving people the option to know what's going on with their data and and to have some control over it and the default response is to just click yes and go on yeah so you bring up such an interesting sort of paradox right you've got um yeah it's uh it's one we talk about a lot internally at the company i i do think that you know the the eu privacy um uh directive um which um or i should say actually the use of cookies uh is <laughs> uh is related to e-privacy in that directive but people always associate it with the GDPR. So it's, the timing is very close there. And so there's a, there's a connection that GDPR is, is a cookie banner. And, and unfortunately, it's not that simple. Um, but, but really, when you think about the interaction of, you, you know, you going to the website trying to buy dog food, uh, you probably don't need control there um, in, in that particular scenario. Rather, um, you need a a way for the business to know who you are and if you're visiting again for the second time you don't need that that control and that transparency populated and if you're a regular subscriber and you've been engaged in their loyalty program it doesn't make sense for for the business to showcase that that cookie banner to you so i would agree the consumer experience is really poor in this area um, and frankly i think the market needs to respond um, with with methods of doing this better um, the legal construct was set up to, um, you know, again, yeah, you're right, try to provide control to the consumer, but the consumer is not going to read a 36-page privacy policy before they enter a website to buy dog food. Right. Right? I mean, it's just similar, not going to happen. similar to the um, EULA. Like the EULA, you know, is supposed to be a legal agreement between me and the provider, you know, the vendor to say, hey, yeah. the, 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 this is what you're agreeing to. I'm like, I've never once read an EULA. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think um, we 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 owe it to ourselves because we all interact with websites, right, um, to provide a better experience. And so I think, you know, the market will adjust. Um, uh, I don't think anyone's happy with the current experience today. Um, and so, you know, uh, I'd expect that we will see, you know, better ways of interacting with websites because, what you described just described is is not it um right. so yeah um i had a thought i want to get like so 
I want to kind of jump way back to the beginning to the, the notion of my 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 CEO when I was working at the dot com saying, hey, we want to save all of this data because who knows how we might yeah. use it in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to say, like, I feel like there is a there is a difference in like how that data could be used in terms of I think personally, I would be okay with an organization amassing just huge amounts of data as long as it's anonymized because you can get you can you can you like because if the questions you're trying to ask are what do white males living in texas you know you know like, like that that is a different question than saying what does tony bradley want you know so it's like yeah. if you take the personal yeah. aspect out of it now I, I get that that doesn't help the google googles of the world who are trying to like you know target ads specifically at tony bradley um but you can break demographics down and say, okay, well, let, let's look at age groups. Let's look at, you know, ethnicity, you know, you know, whatever, like all, all the different, all the different ways you can, you can demographically break down data. Um, I think that, you know, there, there, there's, you can derive value from the data without making it personal. You definitely can. This is, um, this is an ongoing discussion as well. I'd say there's folks in the privacy community advocating for, anonymization um, of information and uh, methods to safely and securely transfer um, value within data in an anonymized state. Um, I think that that does, that there is a world where that becomes a uh, reality in, in some construct, especially um, in really super sensitive information like medical records and, and things of that nature. Um, I would say that businesses are not there yet, right? So we're, we're, we're still making the migration from on-premise into the cloud. Um, and that journey is just now really kicking into gear. And so um, from where we sit, I would say it's unlikely that that um, is something that we see at least in the next decade. Uh, given the speed at which businesses have made the cloud transformation, it seems unlikely that they would move to um, you know, completely anonymized systems um given given where we are well and and kind of going back to you know the transactional nature of of at granting access to the information um you know where there i am okay with my trade-off with apple but like when i go to walgreens and cvs i don't participate because i like my my, my wife does right. And I'm like, you know, right. they're always like, well, do you want to do this thing? Because then, you know, you can, you'll be, you know, you'll get, you'll get something. I'm like, you never give me anything back. Like, I get that you want to know <laughs> what is Tony Bradley buying and how often is he buying it, and yeah. and so you're getting yeah. all kinds of data on yeah. my shopping habits and and what I and what yeah. I want. Yeah. I'm not getting anything out of this arrangement. Like, what are you giving me? Like a one dollar <laughs> off coupon once a year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That trade for information is is um, uh, opaque in certain situations. Uh, <laughs> I think this is probably one of them. Yeah. Well. Um, so, you know, we're kind of you know towards the tail end of 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 the conversation, but I wanted to go a little bit more into like, do you want to share something like a little bit more specific about? The data girl platform like how do you how, how do you yeah, solve yeah. this problem for a company yep so uh so we built a next generation privacy solution we felt that the market wasn't addressed by 
um, you know, some of the manual methods that we talked about earlier. And so uh, the product can kind of be broken down into a few areas. Um, one, we have, um, you know, a patented method of understanding the types of applications that exist in an organization, what type of information those are processing. Um, so we call that the live data map, and that is a method for businesses to understand their, their privacy risk, try to put structure around uh, you know, what, what they're defining. Um, secondary to that is what I described around um, retrieval, deletion, of information for consumers. So when people make requests, this product area we call the request manager. And then the third area, um, this is something that we're really excited about. We just released in October of last year is really around the reduction of privacy risk. And that begins with assessments. Um, so things like data protection impact assessments or privacy impact assessments, these things are um, you know, tools that security legal privacy groups will try to use to reduce the privacy risk in their organization and so we leverage a, a an integration network of over 2000 different integrations so everything i described is sort of underpinned by the the largest integration network of different applications in the industry so the data grow integration network um, and that provides an intelligence layer to sort of surface some of the things we just talked about so um yeah we've been doing this for coming up five years now. Um, business is just over 100 employees. We've raised just under $85 million. Um, and folks like Salesforce, Okta, and Restoration Hardware have been using the platform for a number of years. Very nice. Um, one, uh, one, one kind of other question that occurred to me earlier when we were talking about GDPR and then CCPA is, do I, 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 every once in a while, I hear about other legislation being considered. You know, it comes, you know, so, someone will say, "Hey, someone's introducing a bill here, you know, here or there." Do you feel like that will come to pass, or 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 that it needs to come to pass, or are GDPR and CCPA enough? And the reason I ask that is because, like, you know, I'm in I'm in Texas, uh, yeah, not not really by choice, but you know, I'll, I'll get out of here fast enough. Um, I, I'm I'm in Texas. And Texas makes decisions about what they do or don't want in like school curriculum. And those decisions end up impacting the entire nation, because then when you are the, the publisher, you say, well, if I have to, you know, Texas is a big market. So if I have to publish my book to meet the Texas requirements, I'm just going to publish one book for the whole country. So everyone gets Texas requirements. Um, That's right. Yeah. California also has that same sort of power when it comes to you know requirements. So, yep. so even though we don't have a federal privacy rule, the California privacy rule sort of acts as a, a surrogate for the pr federal privacy rule because most companies yeah. then will say, "Well, we're just going to do we're going to do what California said." Yeah. So we've got a handful of other U.S. states that have passed or are passing um, similar regulation. To your point, they do model in many respects the CCPA, but this patchwork of, of regulation creates enormous challenge for businesses because frankly, um, you know, if the if the requirements are slightly nuanced, which in some cases they are, um, that's really annoying for a business to actually deal with because you know they set themselves up for to your point, a default standard. Um, and now that default standard is is nuanced, right? So I would say that the consumer, frankly, um, 
has an expectation and and those expectations have been clear for a while transparency and control was one of the first you know two words that you used as we kicked off our conversation today and we've seen that for a while um i think that the um we are due for a, a federal privacy bill to create um some conformity in the way that um you know businesses need to adhere to these regulations so while i agree that the us sorry california sort of started a standard um the uh deformity of the regulations now in these different states actually is a problem we need to right. we need to unite the states right around a, a federal set which the businesses can adhere to which yeah, makes sense that it does make sense but i would also say and this is a slightly separate topic but businesses can just choose to do the right thing so a business <laughs> that is in the thing. theory yes. a business yes. in theory could say hey this is what people want for privacy and this that's what, they what our i can just do that <laughs> without the government telling me i have to do that and there and there's a, there's a definite disconnect there from the free market capitalists actually when it comes to that because on the one hand they'll say well we don't need government regulation you know let the market govern itself and it's like okay great so let it and then they'll turn around and say well i don't have to do xyz i don't have to give you clean water because the government didn't make me and it's like well you can't have it both ways if if you're if you're telling so, me the government so needs consumers... to make you do something then i'm going to have the government make you do something if you can't make a choice that's in the best interest of the of the of the country and the and the community then we'll tell you how to make that choice yeah and i think that's what our report showed right the the 52% of people that don't have privacy rights in their state acting with you know in their own manner to get access to the information that is theirs from their perspective um and businesses actually delivering on that um now they can deliver on that because they've made investments to do so to be clear i we see a number of companies that come to us that are not operating that way because they can't the mechanical requirements for doing what is asked to your point the right thing is too difficult alone they need partners that's why we exist um but you're actually spot on the you know 52% of people that don't have privacy rights acting and getting access to their information should suggest exactly what you just shared that businesses right. are trying to do the right thing in most cases um but we should see federal privacy regulation to simplify the process because otherwise it just gets too complicated all right all right um well, I, I mean, that's all the questions I had. Feel free if you had any other closing thoughts. Um, no, this has been fun, Tony. I think it's a uh, it's it's a debate that's ongoing. It's a you know a topic that's clearly uh, meaningful to all of us. And yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show and look forward to uh, well, to talking. One other thought on that is just that I would say it it's one of those things where there isn't a there isn't a one answer like my no. my my relationship with my data and privacy is subjective and like what you know what i'm willing to share you know like like i said i'm willing to share with apple i try not to share with google i have i have kids who who use android phones instead they have no qualms with sharing their stuff with google i mean it's a it's a subjective thing um it is and and you know so you, you, it, it's hard to paint with like one brush and say well this this is yes. how we're going to do this it's like well it comes back to like like we said it comes back to control and transparency it's not it's not a matter of saying 
every company must do data like this. It's a matter of saying every company must be transparent about what they're doing with the data and give some amount of control to the individual to say whether or not they want to participate in that transaction. That's exactly right. So, all right, well, thank you. Thank you for joining me and taking the time. That was awesome. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts. 